now we're on. Joshua chapter 1. Let's all stand together if you are able for the reading of God's word. Excited to be able to share what the Lord has given me here in Joshua chapter 1. I had been preparing something else and the Lord just pointed me right here. Joshua chapter 1, I hope we'll get some encouragement and some help tonight from the word of God. Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you how, though it was written so many years ago, it is relevant to us today. And Lord, the situations that your people faced so many years ago, we're still facing similar situations today. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our heart now through your word, that your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin, of unbelief, of fear, of not trusting you. And Lord, I just pray that you would hide me behind the cross now, put your words in my mouth, and Lord, that um, you would just encourage your flock today to follow you, to be brave and very courageous, as Joshua was in leading the nation of Israel. Lord, we pray for our pastor now as they're traveling, and pray for Miss Leslie, Lord, that your healing would be on her, and Lord, that you just touch her body and heal her and encourage her um, this evening. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look in our Bibles here in Joshua chapter 1, we find Joshua faced with some fearful instructions. Of course, I think the most fearful of all of them are the words that he starts with here, Moses is dead. Joshua knows what this means for him. If Moses is dead, he's in charge now. It's a fearful thing that Joshua is facing. He's told, you're going to lead the people. You're going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Oh, yay. This is a great task. This is a great calling. But Joshua has followed Moses around. 
He has seen how things go when Moses instructed the children of Israel. He was there, you remember, on the mountain when Moses had been up in the mountain with God receiving the Ten Commandments and um, he heard the sound of war in the camp. Thank you. He heard the sound of war in the camp and it turned out to not be war at all. They were having a big party and they were worshiping a golden calf. He had seen Moses as he dealt with the people as they rose up in rebellion against him. He had seen the people at the waters of strife. He had seen the people not want to go into the promised land. He had watched Moses as Moses had dealt with the people. I can just imagine having been raised in a pastor's home. I can just imagine what Joshua may have felt like. Much of my life, I did not want to be a pastor. I did not want to be in full-time church ministry. I wanted to be a foreign missionary where there was a different culture and I would have to deal with those problems and not with Americans. I thought, you know, I grew up and I watched the things my dad struggled with and I saw his kindness and I saw his patience and his long-suffering. I would hear him outside the house getting cursed out by a church member that had gotten away from the Lord and was angry at the pastor and... Um, one day I finally came to the realization I could not be a pastor and not end up in prison. I told my mom one day, I'd kill them all. Um, that was a time of special frustration. But as having watched this through much of my life, I guess there was a while there, there was some hardness in my heart, but God had to work in my heart. God had to soften my heart. And he had to do some real changes in my heart. So I can imagine Joshua as he gets the word from God, Moses is dead. Now you're in charge. I cannot imagine what, would have, what it would have been like if my dad would have died and suddenly I was in charge. Hurricane Katrina, my dad was in um, Ghana, West Africa. I was his assistant pastor and I was in charge as our sanctuary collapsed and as I tried to keep people from digging through the collapsed building. And we faced those times. That was a fearful time. And I can only imagine Joshua as he's fearful at this great responsibility that God has given him. But God tells him, don't be fearful. Be courageous. Oorah. Yay. Um, it's one thing to say to be courageous, but how do you actually be courageous? He tells him in verse number Six, you're going to lead the people. You're going to divide out the inheritance for them. Oh, yay. He has seen these people fight. I mean, the children, you think a Baptist knows how to fight. The Jewish people during this time, they knew how to not get along. He was nervous about this, I'm sure. And that's probably why God kept telling him, be strong and courageous. In verse number seven, he tells him, be strong and courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law. He needed courage in order to be able to obey God's word. He needed courage to meditate on the word and apply it to his life and apply it to the nation. It was going to take great courage. And then in verse nine, he tells him again at the end of this charge to not be fearful, not be afraid, but be courageous. Be of good courage. So as I looked at this passage a few months ago, and God just really began to speak to my heart through this passage as I was making some decisions in my life, um, 
and, and about our family, I noticed how many times God told him to be courageous. And while I thought this is encouraging that God would tell him to be courageous, um, how is one courageous? And then as I read over the passage a few times, I suddenly noticed verse 5 was significant to Joshua knowing how to be courageous. Verse 5 gives us the secret to being courageous. The message tonight is the threefold source of supernatural courage. Do you need courage for an event in your life? Do you need courage for something that you're facing at work? Something you're facing in ministry? Something you're facing in your home? Do you need courage to apply the word of God to your life? To take a step of faith? Whatever it is that God is dealing with you about personally, do you need courage? If you do, verse 5 here gives us the source of courage. Look at it here, verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Number one, the number one thing we need to understand to be courageous is that we can be courageous because we have God's emboldening protection. We have the emboldening protection of God. When you and I realize God is protecting us, that can make us bold. You say, well, I'm so fearful about having to do this or having to do that. If you're fearful, remember, you have a protector. Now, why do I say that this means protection here? There shall not any man be able to stand before thee. Look back at Leviticus chapter 29 real quickly. In Leviticus 29, we find the first time this phrase is used, stand before. Leviticus chapter 26. If we look in verse, beginning of verse 36, and upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a faint faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. And the sound of a shaking leaf shall um, chase them and they shall flee as fleeing from a sword and they shall fall when none pursue it this was going to be the condition of the nation if they turned against God if they disobeyed him and they shall fall up, um, one upon another as it were before a sword when none pursueth and ye shall have no power to stand before your enemies look over at Deuteronomy chapter 7 Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 20. Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them until they that are left and hide themselves from, from thee be destroyed. Thou shalt not be affrighted at them, for the Lord thy God is among you a mighty God and terrible and the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little. Look down at verse 23. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee 
and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings into thine hand, and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou have destroyed them. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, when they faced their enemies, God said, no enemy is going to be able to stand against you. Why? Because they had God fighting for them. They were on God's side and God was on theirs. They did not have to be fearful. They had the hand, they had the protection of God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 23. Then will the Lord drive out all those nations from before you and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you. What a great promise for the children of Israel. You can go out and fight, but your enemy, though they're greater, though they're larger, they don't have a chance. David said it this way in 1 Samuel 17. He said, the battle is the Lord's. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. If we go over to the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. What was it that the Apostle Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Romans 8.31, what shall we say, sorry, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That is a question every one of us need to ask when we're fearful. What and who can stand before us? Why are Christians so fearful sometimes? Why are we so sheepfish? Why are we so bashful when it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to standing for truth, when it comes to living out the word of God in our daily lives? My parents taught me a truth that I tried to remember as an adult. As a 13-year-old boy, I really understood it and I really believed it. I guess it was part of that childlike faith I hadn't lost yet. My parents taught me when I was a kid you're invincible until God is finished with you. You're invincible until God is finished with you. And they would read missionary stories to us. And I remember often at bedtime, my dad reading to us about great heroes of the faith and dangerous things that missionaries of the past have faced. We had a lot of missionaries in our home growing up. And we would hear those missionaries tell stories about dangerous things that were happening to them on the mission field. And yet they had the protection of God. My parents had taught us this, and I was faced one day with the opportunity to see whether I really believed it or not. I was going out to do Bible clubs for the first time. That summer, I fell in love with Bible clubs. My dad had done Bible clubs as a young man up on the Blackfoot Indian Reservation, um, as a young man when he was living up in the northeast, or northwest rather, but um, he sent me to a camp to learn how to do Bible clubs when I was 13. I was scared to death. I didn't know anyone there. 
but the camp director, and he was a scary man. And I was really fearful. I was really nervous. First day of Bible clubs, we, got, we pulled up into this neighborhood, and I realized very quickly that this was not a safe place. It was, it was just very obvious. This was not, you know, the kind of neighborhood you wanted to raise your kids in. And um, we began to knock doors for Bible clubs. We had a missionary from Mexico that was training me and a young man just a little bit older than me. And he told the two of us, go knock on doors and invite everyone to the Bible club. So we went to the first door to knock. And I mean, it was only a few seconds. He said, nobody's home, let's go. Well, we don't know. Well, wait a minute. I, said, I knocked again. There's nobody there. Let's go. And he walked off. So I went to the next door and knocked on that door. And someone inside hollered, come on in. I knocked again. I wasn't coming in. <laughs> come on in. And the lady inside said, yeah, come on in. Just real friendly. And Why not? I'm an invincible until God's finished with me. So I opened the door, and this funny smell and smoke came out, and I stepped in, and I talked to them. I told them what we were doing. They were really supportive. They invited me to come in and sit down for a few minutes and visit. I decided that wasn't a smart idea, but when I got back to the door, my buddy was gone. I figured out very quick he was not the buddy. I, I didn't want him for a buddy for real. Anyway, I find him again. We keep knocking doors. You know, we're supposed to stay together, but he keeps leaving. He decides this is not safe, and he does not want to be here. But I kept remembering, I'm invincible till God's through with me. Amen? Now, it may have been a little bit of childishness. It may have been a little bit of foolishness. That's what I want to think as an adult. But as a 13-year-old, I really believed I'm in the center of God's will. This is where God put me today. I have no reason to be fearful. I am invincible until God is finished with me. And when I'm through, pow, pow, I'm dead. I'll be in heaven. And I really looked at it like that. Well, I, I was glad I did because about then I come crossing the street with my teammate and I hear someone hollering at me from the other end of the apartment complex. And I look up and coming through the gate, lined across the street, is a gang of guys. Bigger than me, older than me, scarier than dorky little me. And they began talking to me. Well, I can't understand them. I, can't, I can barely hear them. So I just hollered at them, sorry, I can't understand you. I can't hear you. And they kept hollering louder. Well, about that time, he said, come on. And I looked behind me, and he is gone. Well, I start walking down the street towards the gang. I mean, come on, I'd heard those missionary stories. All, the, all those little missionary women that faced off gangs. I mean, surely this little white boy with glasses could do it. Anyway, the rest of that, it's another story for another time. But what I learned that day was that I did not have to be fearful if I was in the center of God's will. And I'm still alive, nobody killed me, and I didn't get beat up. But what I was trusting in as a 13-year-old young man was that I had the protection of God. I was out. It was his battle. It wasn't my job to defend myself. And you and I can be courageous. And sometimes I have to remind myself about that 13-year-old that was just not afraid of anything. And I had lots of reason to be. But that wasn't fearful about anything and how I need to be more like my 13-year-old self. 
Because we have this truth. If we continue in Romans 8, where we were just a minute ago, look what he says in verse 33. He says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is it then that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So why are we afraid to pass out a track? Why are we afraid to witness? Why are we afraid to go on a mission trip? Why are we afraid to go to a dangerous place? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We have a God that says no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Number one, we have the emboldening protection of God. Number two, look what God tells Joshua. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I've already mentioned all the bad stuff that, or some of the bad stuff that Joshua saw Moses deal with. But let's not forget, he also saw that God met with Moses. He was there when Moses came down and his face was glowing so bright from being in the presence of God that the people begged him to cover his face. He was there when God defended the people. He was there when Aaron's rod budded. He was there and saw God give Moses favor before the people. He was there and saw God strengthen Moses before his enemies. He was there and saw God provide water from a rock, food from the skies. Why did Joshua have to be fearful? He could be courageous because as God had been with Moses, God would be with him. What a precious, precious truth. As God was with Moses, so he would be with him. If you look back in Deuteronomy 31, we hear these words. Had been given to him already. Deuteronomy 31, 23. And he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge and said, Be strong and of a good courage. For thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. Be strong and of a good courage. I don't know about you, but I read the story of missionaries of the past. I meet missionaries today, and sometimes I think they are some kind of superhuman, super spiritual person. I've studied some about Spurgeon. One I have always considered I could never be on the level with God that Spurgeon was. And yet I read about his personal struggles. I learn about the things he dealt with personally in his life. And I realize he was a normal person. What made him so different? It was the fact he had the presence of God in his life. 
There is power in the life of a person who walks with God. And we need this for our tasks, for daily, regular tasks we have. The first time we see the the Holy Spirit showing up to dwell with a person is in Exodus chapter 3. We meet a man by the name of Bezalel. Bezalel is going to be the one responsible for making the garments for the priests, for the um, tabernacle. He's going to be responsible for making the furniture, for making the curtains, for overseeing the work and the preparation for the house of God. And it says in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, um, I am in the wrong one. It's Exodus 31. I thought, wow, that is the wrong part of the book. Misread my notes here. Exodus 31 in verse number 3. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. And he goes on explaining the things he's going to be making, the candlesticks and his furniture and all of these things, the table and its furniture, all these things for the house of God, but he needed the, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to do these daily tasks. When God called me to preach as a young man, uh, I was 15 years old, and I was really sensing the call of God to preach. I was scared to death. I did not want to be a public speaker. I was a musician. I sang and I played piano. That's what I did. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to grow up, publish music, maybe be a missionary, but I was not going to be a preacher. But yet, as God began to call me, the thing I was most fearful about as I lay in bed one night was I began to think about how many sermons that was going to be. If at 15 years old I surrendered to preach, and if I were to preach, Okay, if God were to end up with me a pastor one day, or if I wasn't a pastor, if I, just if I preached one sermon a week, then if I were, and I began to add up how many sermons that could be, I couldn't think up one good sermon. I was scared to death. And God took me to Jeremiah chapter 1. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, God said that he was putting his words in his mouth And he told him, he said, don't be afraid of their faces. Well, the first time I got up to preach, I knew exactly what God meant to Jeremiah. Because I looked out and I saw the faces. And it was horrifying. I remember the first time I preached about a subject that could be, you know, uncomfortable. Um, I was preaching this sermon and a woman sitting on the second row right there got really mad at me. She was a new convert. My dad had been discipling her and... I had been working with my dad and I both with her kids, and I looked down and she sat on the front row, uh, on the second row. She had been a hippie and a number of other things. She had been a protester. She'd chained herself to oak trees to keep them from being cut down in South Louisiana and stuff. And she was very vocal. If she didn't think my dad was through preaching soon enough, she'd take out her pack of cigarettes and start beating them against her hand to just let him know it's time to wrap things up and let's get going here. And if she didn't like something, she'd say it out loud right in, the, right in the sermon, you know. And I'm preaching, and I look down, and I see the look. And if looks could kill, I would not be here today. I would have been in the grave for a long time. Because I look up, and she is angry. And she's leaning forward on the pew, and she starts saying, no. 
no, no. And she just gets louder and louder. And the more she hollers no, the more nervous I'm getting. You know, I'm trying to cover it up, but I, 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 nonetheless, I'm shaking. And all of a sudden, I remember that verse God had given me, be not afraid of their faces. Well, that is a scary face. We became great friends later. But I was scared of her face. But I learned something. It doesn't matter how scary somebody else is. It doesn't matter how scary a situation in our life is. If we have the presence of God, we do not have to be fearful. There is so much power with realizing we have God abiding in us. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, indwells us as believers. And that is empowering. How many of us like to do things on our own? Of course, there's a few people I like now. The older I get, the more I like doing some things on my own. But you know, how many times have we heard teenagers have this conversation? Are you going to camp? I don't know. I don't know. You going to camp? I don't know. If you go to camp, I'll go to camp. Yeah, I'll go to camp if you go to camp. Okay, let's go to camp. Okay, yeah. Why are they going to camp? Because the other one's going to camp. They're not dare doing it by themselves. We like doing things with others. It gives us some stability. It gives us courage. Well, we are never alone. If you have Christ in your heart, if you are saved tonight, you are not alone. You have the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit of the living God. I love the story of the Wesley brothers as they were coming to the United States as missionaries. Neither one of them were saved. They didn't know the Lord. They were trained Episcopalian preachers that didn't know Jesus as their personal Savior. But they were coming to the new world to convert the Indians convert them to a faith that they didn't really have. But nonetheless, they were here, they preached, never were able to preach to the Indians, but God dealt with the two of them while they were here. And part of his dealing started on the journey across the Atlantic Ocean. As they were coming, they got into a terrible storm. Well, both of them are scared to death. They think they're going to lose their lives at any moment. But they noticed this group of missionaries, Moravian missionaries from Germany, were on board the ship. And the, the men weren't scared, the wives weren't scared, the little kids weren't even scared. Nobody's crying, nobody's whimpering, nobody's screaming in this storm. And the Wesley brothers are really puzzled at how little kids and women could have courage that they don't have. So they approached the main Moravian missionary and they asked the leader of the group, what is your secret? I mean, here it's time for y'all to have your daily Bible study. We're in the middle of this storm. We may be about to lose the ship, and you're just going on with church like nothing's happening. And the Moravian missionary told him, he said, well, you see, we all understand that if we die, we will be with Jesus. And if we live, Jesus is with us. So either way, we're with Jesus. It was just, duh. You know, how is that hard? I mean, here's a pastor, an Episcopalian pastor. Why is this difficult for you to understand? John Wesley could not understand it. Charles Wesley could not understand it until both of them at different times came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Then they understood it. Then they could stand to preach when they're being screamed at. Then they could stand and preach when they're being cursed. Then they could pray with joy when they're on their knees praying and someone comes along and throws a brick and hits them smack in the back of the back. Why can they face this with courage, with joy? Because if they live, 
Jesus is with them. If they die, they are with Jesus. Either way, they're with Jesus. When we recognize, when we realize we have the abiding presence of the living God, we don't have to be fearful. We can be courageous in any circumstance. So number one, we have the emboldening protection of God. Number two, we have the empowering presence of God. Number three, we have the enduring persistence of God. The enduring persistence of God. Let's read our verse again. Joshua 1, 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I love these words. I will not fail thee. This, this, this little phrase, fail thee, means to let down. I'm not going to let you down. It also means to forsake. I'm not, I'm not going to leave you. But I love the definition of the Hebrew words that's translated fail here. It literally means to drop. He says, I'm not going to drop you. Marianne, can you run up here real quick? It's the idea of trust. Coming up quick. It's the idea of trust. The fact that we are held in the arms of our Savior. Now, I think Marianne trusts me. Do you trust your dad? Okay, so if I pick you up, trust me that I'm not going to drop you, right? Okay. But she has to trust me. Now, if my eldest son, Jonathan, walked up here and I said, here, let me pick you up like this, he's not going to trust me. Why? He knows I'm going to drop him. (laughs) He claims he's taller than me, okay? So if that's true, yeah, I'm just going to blame it on that. But I can hold her. She trusts that I will hold her. I'm not going to drop her. I can walk over to the edge, and Marianne's going to get a little nervous. She's always been the child that gets nervous. Even when she was little bitty, she would get so nervous when Dad's holding her. But she's actually doing really good right now. She's learned to trust me. When God says to Joshua, I will not fail thee, he's telling him, I'm not going to drop you. I've got you. You know that phrase? I've got this. Thank you, Marianne. I've got this. I've got you. Look over at Deuteronomy 33. Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, one of the most beautiful verses of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, I encourage you, underline it in your Bible when you're having a rough day, quote this verse. Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting God is telling Joshua, I'm holding you. I'm not going to drop you. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. I love it. He says it twice, two different ways. He says, I'm not leaving you. I've got you. I've got a hold of you. No matter what the circumstances are in your life, you can trust in the fact that you are held by the ever-loving arms of our Savior. John chapter 14 and verse 16, a truth every believer needs to understand. Jesus is preparing to go to his crucifixion. He's teaching the disciples. He's preparing to leave them behind. And in um, John chapter 14, We're most familiar with the beginning verses where he's talking about heaven. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
But as we come down later in the chapter, he begins to teach them again about the coming Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. He dwelleth with you. At this point, the Holy Spirit had not come yet on the day of Pentecost to permanently indwell believers, but he was already with them. He said, but he's going to be in you. And we see that happen in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. But at the end of verse 6, he gives a very important truth that every believer needs to understand. It will give us so much confidence. It will give us so much courage in facing difficult things in our life, especially when we're feeling alone. Look what he says, verse 16. Let's read it again. I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you. Let's talk about that first part there. To abide with you. It's to become a permanent resident somewhere. It's the idea of moving in. Not temporary, not as a renter, but as a purchaser. I have bought this and I am moving in and this is where I'm going to die. Now, he's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't die. I, I get that point. The point is, he's taking up permanent residence. This word abide is to take up residence that is permanent. But just in case the disciples didn't understand that the, his residence was permanent, he says, he I will abide with you. I'm going to stay with you forever. For how long? Forever. My permanent abiding is going to be forever. His abiding, the Holy Spirit's abiding, was going to be forever. What a great truth. That's the reason why they could be confident as they went out to preach the gospel. They had received the, the, they would later receive the great commission. Matthew 28, 20 records it. He says, Jesus said at the end of it, I will never leave you. He said, well, let's just go over there and read it because um, my nerves are making me not be able to quote it. 28 and verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I uh, have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. How long? How long? Even unto the end of the world. He said, I'm always with you. How was Christ going to be with us? Well, we know the, he was going to send the Holy Spirit to abide in us. And he would be with us. The church could go out and begin in the New Testament the great work. Why was the, why was the early church what the early church was? We can have all kinds of seminars and we can have all kinds of training to figure out how to reduplicate the first century church. But it comes down to this. The Holy Spirit was working in and through them. And if we had that, we wouldn't need a seminar. We wouldn't need a training course. If we realized we have the Holy Spirit working in us, working through us. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, we have this great truth where Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And then he goes on to say, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Why could he say with confidence, I won't be fearful of what man does to me? Because Jesus has promised to never leave me, to never forsake me. Brothers and sisters, we can have courage, we can have confidence in this day in which we live 
because we have the abiding Holy Spirit. He has promised to never leave us. So let's review this. Number one, Joshua had, and we have, the emboldening protection of God. We have the empowering presence of God. And the enduring persistence of God. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. I get so tired sometimes of being around people that love to read the headlines. Oh, well, they're teaching this now in school, and they're teaching this now in school, and this is happening in America, and this bank is crashing, and that bank is crashing, and this bank is going to crash tomorrow, and this is going to happen tomorrow, and we're all going to die. We're so desperate about that. I don't know. I just find it a little more encouraging to go and turn to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5 and get in the quiet for a few minutes and turn off the phone and ignore the news, and realize, yes, I understand the times in which we live. Things are headed really bad. But I have a God who loves me. I have a God who protects me. I have a God whose presence is ever with me, and if I get killed, I'm going to be with him. So why should we be fearful? Folks, we at Central Baptist Church have no reason to fear today. We can have more confidence than Joshua had. You say, oh, well, if I would have been back there, if I would have heard from God, if I would have, if I would have. We have more of God's word than Joshua had. He had the five books that Moses had just finished writing down. You and I have the completed word of God. We have the abiding and dwelling Holy Spirit. We can be bold. We can be courageous with more ammo than Joshua ever had. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we